didn't I always preach it enough, by the way? So. Um, if you have Bibles with you and, uh, or on your phones, whatever works for you, um, might be good just for you to open at Romans chapter 5, and uh, that's the passage of Scripture I'm going to be looking at tonight. Um, but before, before um, I get into the message proper, I want to share with you just some observations by way of an introduction to the message tonight, and I want to speak on about the good news that has not changed. But if you go right back to uh, the book of Genesis and chapter 3, you will read about the very first, what I'm going to call tonight, truth encounter that ever took place. Do you remember the truth encounter happened between what the Bible calls the serpent, who we know was the enemy, and between Eve, who is in the garden, and this was, this was God's creation, the, the first person after Adam that had been created. And what's the very, very first thing that the serpent says to Eve? Did God really say? And it's interesting to me is that the question he phrases is related to the fact that they knew what God had said. He would never have asked the question unless they already knew or Eve already knew what God had said. If you fast track into the New Testament, you discover a similar thing happening except this time it's in the reverse. In the Old Testament, we see the enemy comes to Eve and begins to question God's word and begins to question what she believes. But when it comes to Jesus, who is the second Adam, this time, the Holy Spirit leads him to encounter the enemy in the wilderness. God now reverses the process, and there is another truth encounter, and each time the enemy made his play and said what he did and began to question Jesus, Jesus responds by saying, it is written. Very differently to Eve, who, who then begins to have this debate uh, with the serpent, Jesus simply responds and said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And I share that with you uh, this evening because I believe one of the, the great challenges we are facing as a generation of Christians is a truth encounter. We're right in the middle of a truth encounter, and it's not only coming from outside the church, it's coming from within. And I believe we need to be equipped for that truth encounter. We need to be able to handle that. That's, why, that's one of the reasons I'm going to be speaking about what I want to speak about tonight. Now, when we come to Romans chapter 5, and I'm only going to handle the first 11 verses because that's all we've got time for tonight. There, there are two things uh, that become obvious as we read these verses. And the first one is this we realize what a privilege it is to be a follower of Jesus. Do, do you realize that we, we are incredibly, incredibly privileged to be followers of Jesus? I know we, we're a generation that, that are, are almost few we have the right to, but, but do you know that you have a relationship with the Son of God? That, that we have a relationship with God himself. I mean, that to me is like awesome. Do you remember when Paul was, was sharing 
his testimony, he's writing to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's the verses are not going to be up there. But, but he's writing to them. And he's, he's sharing about what God has done in his life and what, what Jesus has done in his life. And he just bursts out into spontaneous praise. And he says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, the only wise God, be honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Amen. He couldn't, he couldn't say what he was saying without just saying, I've got to praise God. It's one of the things we become aware of in, in Romans chapter 5. The second is that we begin to understand why Christians are so full of hope and joy. In fact, Peter, when he was writing to, to the believers in chapter 1, he uses these words, even though you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible joy. Christians are people who are filled with joy because of what God has done. And so tonight, I'm going to ask that we take a moment to pray. And I want us to pray that the Holy Spirit will give us spiritual wisdom and understanding. That we would understand what God's Word means tonight. We'd understand the significance of God's Word. That our minds might be renewed. That our faith would be strong in what God has said. So, so let's just pray together. Spirit, you come and renew our minds through the word of the Lord. Our Father, we want to pray that as a generation of Christians who, Lord, will face and are facing a truth encounter that is happening, we pray that we will be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We pray, Lord, that we will know what we believe. And Lord, that when we face those encounters, we will be able to say with confidence in our hearts, it is written. So God, I pray that you will minister here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's read Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then look at what verse 3 goes on to say. Not only so, but we also Rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely 
or anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But look how different God is. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. When I was preparing this message and just praying through the scriptures, as I was reading through them, just trying to really get soak them, soak up what God was saying, I sensed the Lord just putting this phrase unto my heart. John, the facts are important. The facts are important. And I, as I began to ponder that, I, I just realized that what God was saying, that when it comes to His Word, the details are very important. Because as Jesus said when He faced the enemy, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. Every word. And, and may I say this evening, it's, it's not good enough to have a general knowledge of God's Word. We need to know the actual details because the devil in his second temptation with Jesus comes and begins to quote Psalm 91, but Jesus sees through it straight away because he knows every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I want to encourage you this evening, don't just kind of generally more or less know. We need to know the details of God's word. We need to have our minds renewed by the facts. We need to have a hope that's built on the facts. A faith that totally relies on the facts. That's what will enable us to stand against the enemy, to overcome our fears and to rejoice in the Lord. Now, there, there are five facts that I want to focus on. There are more, but I, for tonight I've chosen and, and I want us to look at five facts, and I want us to really stand on these facts, to embrace these facts, to understand these facts. We can rely on, and there they are. Those are the five that I'm going to talk about. We have peace with God through Jesus. Secondly, suffering and hardships have a purpose in the life of the believer. Thirdly, God's love has been demonstrated at the cross. Number four, we are justified by the blood of Jesus. And number five, we are saved because Jesus is alive. Those are the five. And if, if I may this evening, I'm going to ask you to repeat those truths because I want us to really get hold of them and understand what God is saying through them. So fact number one, we have peace with God through Jesus. Let's read it again. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is describing over here a miraculous peace that the believer has with God. He's not talking about that we have peace because of trouble that we've got. 
He's talking about a peace that exists between us and God because of what has happened at the cross. You see, our feelings are going to change from day to day. You all know that. The enemy will come with accusations that are very real. And we're living in a culture at the moment that's actually quite opposed to God. But the one thing we need to know, we can always go back to what happened at the cross. And you know, at face value, the cross appears to be a, the result of a, a scheme that people hatched up to do away with Jesus, which in fact they did. Or, or at worst, it was the biggest mistake ever made by any human authority to crucify Jesus. And that's also true. But, but, but there is another perspective. There, there is another view of the cross that we are given that's far more important than the schemes of man or the authorities. It is that we have peace with God through what happened at the cross. If we go back thousands of years to, uh, to the prophet Isaiah, way before Jesus has come, this is what he says. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. The reason you and I have peace with God tonight is because of the cross. Paul put it slightly differently when he, was, when he was writing in the New Testament to the Corinthians. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, it wasn't just the scheme of men that Jesus was hanging on the cross. This was God putting our sins on Jesus and Jesus dying so that you and I could have peace with God. Well, as Paul said to the Colossians, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you know that we stand before God without blemish and free from accusation because of the cross? That's what we put our faith in when our feelings get the better of us, when the devil accuses us, and when our doubts arise, we have peace with God because of Jesus. Fact number two. This is this is one that you need to get your head around because when you read this, you should almost say to yourself, wow, that's like quite radical. Suffering and hardships have a purpose in the life of the believer. Look, look at what Paul goes on to say. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And once again, we, we see this as to be an, an, a supernatural, if I can use that word, unusual response from believers because we see things differently. Did you remember what happened in, in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 6? You, you've got this, this picture or this description, rather, of Elisha the prophet, and he's in the city of Dothan, and there he is with his servant. And his servant wakes up one morning and he sees that they are surrounded by the enemy. They've surrounded the whole city. And, and Elisha says just this one thing, Lord, open his eyes. And suddenly he, he saw with new eyes. 
He saw, as it were, through the eyes of faith. He sees the armies of heaven surrounding the city, and he makes this comment, more are those who are for us than those who are against us. And I think sometimes we need to recognize we've got to see things differently. We've got to see through the eyes of faith. We have a different perspective. And Paul says that Christians don't just endure tribulations and trials. They go much further than this. They, they have find a reason to glory in them. The word, some Bibles use the word rejoice. If you look at the word, it's, it's even stronger than just rejoice. Glory in them. And you see, one of the, the, the blessings of being a Christian is that we can rejoice in our trials and tribulations. And I want to tell you why. It's not just because they produce character and perseverance. It's because God loves us. That's the point Paul is making in Romans 5 and verse 5. Our hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He gives us. And it's because the Holy Spirit does this, because the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts, that we rejoice in trials and tribulations. You see, when you know that God loves you, instead of these becoming terrible things, we begin to understand that these are the things that benefit us. They produce fruit in us. And they're the means through which we grow. Can I just point out something interesting this evening? Do you know the countries where people are growing the fastest for the Lord is where they're being persecuted the most? What does that say to you? In their trials, in, in their sufferings, they're growing. It's producing something incredible in their lives. Paul says here, it, 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 it brings about a spiritual stamina that we can, we can go the distance. Where's Greg? Greg should up here. There we are. Oh, you're at the top. Okay, Greg. So, so if you know Greg, one of his favorite things to do is run the comrades. But I want to tell you something. If I had to run the first K of the comrades, there would be serious, a serious call made to the paramedics. And I want to tell you why. Because I don't have the spiritual, well, I don't have the physical stamina. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't have the physical stamina to go the distance. But God, what, what Paul is saying over here, through, through these trials, through these tribulations, and the word he uses is actually the word suffering that's related to the gospel and trials that are really related to the gospel. He's not really just talking about, I bumped my car today. He's talking about something way deeper than that. Speaking about many believers in these days where there was suffering that was happening. They were going through hardships because of their faith and because of the gospel. And he says, because we know God loves us and because we are a people of faith, those things begin to develop something. They begin to produce something in us. And one of the things they produce endurance or stamina, that ability to go the distance, which I think is so important. They, they produce Christian character. 
as we continue to trust God. They begin to produce a hope that emerges because we know who we are relying on. We rely on the Lord. That's what starts to happen in our lives. That's why James, and if you want to read about, read somebody that doesn't want to get stuck with talk, idle talk, it's James. It's like, James, don't just talk about it, do it. And he says in, in chapter one, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And then he goes on to explain why, similar to what Paul is saying over here. And I want to say to you today, one of the great privileges we have as believers, we know God loves us. We know we, his, we are his children. And, and I want to say to you, you're going to face trials. You're going to face hardships as you walk and as you serve the Lord. It's part of the Christian life, but isn't it great to know those don't have to be terrible things, but they can produce something in our lives. The third fact that comes out of Romans 5, and it's built on what I've just been saying, God's love is demonstrated at the cross. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you'll notice Paul is not just stating the facts over here. He's giving us the right perspective of the facts. And there are two very important points he makes about God's love over here. The first is this. The most reliable evidence you have of God's love is what happened at the cross. Not how you feel or even what's happening in your life. You see, I know there have been times things have happened in my life and what begins to go alongside of that, there's that little nagging question. God doesn't really love you, otherwise he'd never have allowed this to happen. Has that ever happened to any of you before? You've, you've had something that's, that's gone down in your life and, and you just get that recurring thought. You see, God doesn't love you. You see, God doesn't love you. And so Paul says, well, we, if you want to know who, whether God loves you, you go back to the cross. You see, we constantly have to deal with the the deception of the devil who's trying to get us to doubt God. Th those times that we are tempted to question God's love because of something that's happened, or, or maybe the unbelief of our culture that keeps questioning our belief in God. May I say at the cross, God had absolutely nothing to gain when Jesus died, except you and me. And the only reason Jesus died on the cross for you and me is that a supernatural, unexplainable love was being demonstrated when all we deserved was the wrath of God. You will be tested and you will be tempted to doubt God. And I want to say, here's something we can go right back to. God's love is demonstrated at the cross. But there's an, another point that, that, that Paul makes about God's love. And, he, and what he says is that God's love is, is not anything like man's love. I don't know if you picked that up in, in, in verse 7, I think. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man somebody might possibly die, but God. He's not saying God's love is like man's love, even in its finest moment. He's saying God's love is far different, far better than it's un a unique love. And I say that this evening because we often try and understand God's love 
by comparing it to our love. You see, God's love is completely reliable. God's love is unrelenting, it's sacrificial, it's undeserved. That's why it's only the Holy Spirit that can pour out the love of God in our hearts. Because it's unique, it's special, it's reliable, it's trustworthy. Don't ever think God's love is like our love. And I know we often talk about how man loves a woman and how people love one another sacrificially. God's love's way, way better than that. It's in a whole new category. Fact number four, another truth for the believer. We are justified by the blood of Jesus since we have now been justified by his blood. And some of you will know that the word justified has often been simplified for kids by saying it means just as if I'd never sinned. But in fact, the word justified is actually used in legal circles. It's, it's the word that was used by a judge making a ru ruling to say, I declare this person not guilty. And what Paul is saying over here, that the Christian is someone that God has declared not guilty guilty in his sight because of the blood of Jesus. Now, why is this so important? You see, our salvation is not dependent on how much we love God. You know, it's funny, you ask people, well, you know, why, why are you going to go to heaven? Well, I just really, I love Jesus. Well, how much do you need to love Jesus to be sure of this? Our salvation is not dependent on how much we've done for God, how, how you've served Him, or, or how sacrificial you've been with what you have. It relies entirely on the fact that Jesus died in our place and His blood was shed. You can be sure because of what He has done. In Hebrews 9, it speaks about the fact that Jesus only needed to die once. Verse 26, then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And the point that the writer to the Hebrews is making is that for the first time ever, since the beginning of time, a sacrifice was made that fully restored our relationship to God. And here's the blessing. We are not saved because we've got a strong faith. We are not saved because we love God. We are not saved because of how much we've done for God. We are justified, declared not guilty because of the blood of Jesus that has been shed for us. Amen. It's like something to get amped about. If you were in a good African church, you'd be on your chairs. And that's why I've asked you, it's true, and when we, when we do worship later on, I want us just to praise Him. I want us to get caught up in praise and worship and adoration because we're here because of the blood tonight. And the last fact we'll highlight this evening is we are saved because Jesus is alive. Listen to this. 
For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? And Paul's pointing out a very important fact for all of us. Not only have we been saved, but we will be saved. We are, we are in the process of being saved. And, and this is something we often overlook because we like to think about the here and now, what's happening in my life now. And I guess, especially when people are young, they seldom think about the one day when Jesus comes or the one day they're going to die. But I need to say to you tonight, the best life you've got is not the one you've got now. It's the one that's coming. Don't believe the book that says your best life now. To me, whatever is good and whatever is fantastic about your life now, let me tell you on good authority, the Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things God has prepared for those who love. Your best moment is a drop in the ocean compared to what Jesus has in store for you. Paul goes on to say they are only revealed by the Holy Spirit. You see, what, what Paul is saying, we are saved past tense through what happened at the cross, and we will be saved through what Jesus is still doing for us. You see, we often forget that Jesus is risen and he's seated at the right hand of God and he's making intercession for us. Look at what the writer to the Hebrews said. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Friends, Jesus has saved us. Jesus is saving us. And Jesus will save us. That's the hope that Christians live in. It's what Jesus has done. It's what Jesus is doing. It's what Jesus will do. That's why, why Jude, when he comes to the, the end of his letter, says, now to him who is able to keep you falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Thank you, Jesus. We are in a battle at the moment with an enemy who is intent on destroying your life and my life. Peter warns us of that. Be self-controlled and alert. Talking to believers, for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. And I don't say that to make you fearful. I just want you to know you're in a battle. And the way to win the battle is through truth. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. They have divine power to tear down strongholds. We take every thought captive. At the best of times, our feelings can't be relied on. How many of you ever got up in the morning and you felt like God's far away? Felt like it. Anybody? Some truthful people. Good. 
But you see, we don't rely on our feelings. We're relying on the truth. We're relying on the facts. You see, when your feelings are here and there and everywhere, what do you need to go back to? You need to go back to the truth. You know that the devil doesn't worry about your feelings. What he's interested in is what you believe. And so that's why we renew our minds by going back to the facts. I will tell you, if what I'm saying is right, many of you will struggle when it comes to the discipline of spending time in the Word. It's what he does not want you to know what God has said. You don't have to get into a big brawl with the enemy. You just need to know what God has said. We renew our minds. We strengthen our faith by going back to the facts. We resist the enemy by knowing the facts. And can we put up that last slide, please? Here it is. We have peace with God through Jesus. Why don't you say it with me? We have peace with God through Jesus. The second one. Suffering and hardships have a purpose in the life. Let's say it nice enough. Suffering and hardships have a purpose in the life of the believer. The third one. God's love has been demonstrated at the cross. The fourth one. We are justified by the blood of Jesus. And the last one, we are saved because Jesus is alive. Amen. Thank you, Stuart. Now we can worship.